Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight today. For Christ our Lord, amen. So we're gonna conclude our our, uh, study of the Psalms for this summer, for the summer of 2023, and we'll get back into them next summer. And the Psalms, I hope you have come to to cherish them as I have and believe as I have in the words of the famous Galadriel that the Psalms are a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. If I've done one good thing as a pastor, it will be to convince all of you that the Psalms are a light to you in dark places when all other lights have gone out. And Psalm 63, which is a famous psalm, which is a beautiful psalm, David opens this psalm with these famous words, O God, you are my God. And that is what we call an emphatic expression. It emphasizes something. He is emphasizing relationship. O God, you are my God. You see, King David there, like his ancestor Abraham before him and all the patriarchs and all people of faith ever since David, David called this God his God, his own God. And it's always been like that. It's always been a deeply relational, personal faith, biblical faith, the kind of faith that we see in the scriptures. If, if, you are, if you're comfortable with religion or you're comfortable with going to church, but you feel uncomfortable with those people who say things like, I have a personal relationship with God. You hear those phrases, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you go, it just feels weird. I'm okay with church and I'm okay with worship services, but those people who say a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I just, I don't know, I start to squirm. Uh, You're probably not alone, but listen, you're actually missing the point of it all. It's all about relationship. My God, David declares in Psalm 63. My God. Relationship made all the difference for David in his life when his son Absalom basically stole the kingdom from him and then many of his advisors began to talk trash about him and talk behind his back, betray him, slander him, sabotage him so that David and his people had to flee into the wilderness of Judah and that's what the title of Psalm 63 indicates. Whereas Psalm 61 and 62 had promised us God's help in our distress Psalm 63 promises something else in our distress, nourishment. Not simply God's help, but specifically God's nourishment for you in your distress. David is saying, my God's steadfast love sustains me. It's like my food. You know, even in spiritual distress, or even in circumstantial distress, you know, a situation you're in, maybe it's, maybe it's something very practical and functional in your life and it's a mess. Or maybe it's inward, it's psychological or it's emotional, something internal is going on. Whatever the case may be, your soul can be satisfied in God. Your soul can be satisfied in a God who wants to nourish you, who promises to nourish you. The Christian, as you grow in your faith, The Christian builds up an appetite for God's nourishment. 
The Christian develops a mature palate for the sustenance that God alone can provide so that you want it more, so that you become used to habitually wanting what God alone can provide. So we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about hungering for God in the wilderness experiences of our lives. And we're gonna also talk about feasting on God. Yes, that sounds weird, but I'm telling you, we'll get to it. Feasting on God. And finally, we're gonna talk about being satisfied in God alone in those wilderness places in which we find ourselves. So hungering for God, feasting on God, and being satisfied in my God, your God, David's God, in the wilderness. Hungering for God should be an all-consuming endeavor. I'm not trying to be dramatic, I'm trying to be literal. An all-consuming endeavor is the Christian's hunger for God, especially when things are bad. Psalm 63 reveals a person who was consumed with desiring God. You might even say obsessed, but in a good way. Look at verse one as it continues. He says, so he says to God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. See, holistic, body and soul. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, the Hebrew expression for earnestly seeking for something, it meant to search for something with diligence, right? To really go after it, to chase it down, to look for it. And actually, some translations would put it this way, to look for something early. You know what it means to search for something early? Meaning it's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning. It's the first thing on your mind. So the first thing on my mind in the morning is I go and turn on the coffee pot. But this, this passage, you, when, when you see David saying, I, earnestly I seek you, but early in the morning I'm looking for you, it made me think of camping. Yeah, some of you are horrified by that, but you ever been camping? Or maybe some of you have been wilderness hiking or backpacking or something like that? Okay, think about it. You wake up in your tent. What is the first task on your mind? You've got to eat. You've got to eat. Now, if you want to eat, what do you have to do? You have to build a fire. If you're going to build a fire, what do you need to build a fire? You need wood. You need dry kindling in order to make a fire. And so you discover when you're out in the wilderness, you, in order to eat, other things have to happen. You have to build a fire. To build a fire, you have to find ample fuel. And, and so you can't do anything else until you do that, you can't eat, you can't stay warm, you can't stay strong without doing the basic things. And so you wake up, you get out of your sleeping bag and your mind is immediately on. You can't, there's no luxury here. You can't turn on the news or play video games or read the newspaper or scroll through your phone. You're like, I, if I wanna eat today and stay warm, I've gotta build a fire. And so David is saying, I'm up in the morning, I'm earnestly seeking for you, I'm looking for you early, Lord. Have you seen some of the wilderness survival shows, like Alone, these documentaries where you, they send these people out into the boonies for 100 days to see if any of them can last that long? You ever see this? What are they doing the entire time? I mean, and we watch it for hours. We watch people alone in the, like in, in Newfoundland or like, like Labrador doing two things. 
You spend hours watching people do two things on television. What are they doing? What are the two things they're doing? What are they looking for? Food and fuel. They are hunting and they are looking for firewood. That's it. They do one other thing. They go to sleep so that they can rest up to go looking for food and firewood again. And that's all they do, and that's all they do. And David is saying, this is all I'm doing. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. The Psalms teach us that in a spiritual wilderness, you seek God early. It is your number one survival tactic. And David had learned it well. He, I mean, he was being hunted and caved long before he was a king. And now he's probably an old man, and his son is chasing him down. How sad. But David knew what to do. He had been through it again and again, and he had developed an appetite for what God alone could provide, and he was seeking for it early. And we all know that craving a certain type of taste comes from what? Having tasted it before. You don't crave what you don't know. You crave what you have had before that you have enjoyed, and that sustains you. Right? Even as I'm driving on 95 or the, the New Jersey Turnpike, the closer I get to Staten Island and Manhattan and Brooklyn, I can just smell the pizza. And I am just craving it because I, I know what real pizza is supposed to taste like. <laughs> I know what it's supposed to taste like. Sorry, no offense. You crave what you have experienced. And David is, is craving what he has experienced, what he has tasted before. And so look at verse two. He says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. See, he's been here before. He's tasted this before. He's witnessed the glory of God in the tabernacle. He has experienced the power of God in worship, either formal public worship in the tabernacle and out in the caves by himself, out in the wilderness, chasing away lions and wolves and bears, trying to protect his sheep. He knows the glory and the power of God, not just intellectually, but experientially. As he said back in Psalm 34, verse eight, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and now he wants more. And so he says in verse three, because your steadfast love, that's, that's the most impressive kind of love, that's God's love, that's a forever tenacious love, never quit on you love. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. The Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman said this about that verse. He would rather die than live without God's love. He's hungering for God in the wilderness, and it's this all-consuming endeavor. It needs to be, because he's not only in the physical wilderness, he's emotionally in the wilderness. You, I mean, if, if your own child turns on you, you're in the wilderness. If you and your people are out there, right? If, if you've lived in a palace and now you're out in the wilderness, you're in the emotional wilderness. So, so of course it's all-consuming for the believer who seeks after what God alone can provide. And he would, God would provide. People of faith, this is so important to remember, people of faith don't starve. Never believe anything else. People of faith do not starve in the wilderness of our lives. 
There is no starving in the wilderness places for those who approach this God, calling him my God. Feasting on God's provision is the believer's nourishment and and your delight as well. Saving faith trusts that God will provide for you, that he's going to comfort you. You may not feel comforted right now, comforted right now, but saving faith believes that he will comfort you. He will teach you something new or remind you of something you already knew. He's gonna nourish you in all of these ways. What did he say in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me by pastors. I think I messed up the order there. And then he says, he restores my soul. It is a promise. He will nourish you. And so David can say, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. See, God is not providing him moldy, crusty bread in the wilderness. He's not even providing something like uh, frozen chicken nuggets that you warm up in the microwave. This is choice cuts of meat that God is, spiritually speaking, providing David with. This is like the, 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 a wine from the vineyard's best year ever. This is the best. This is an a la carte meal from your favorite restaurant. Now, some of you may say, well, hold on, wait a minute. How, how can someone feel so richly blessed like this when they're in the wilderness, when they're dejected and betrayed, when they're literally looking for, for bread and water? How can somebody feel like they're being richly nourished? He, he, this, must, he must just, this must just be a metaphor, right? He's just speaking symbolically. He's just being the poet that he is. Well, well no, because what did he just say in verse 3? to his God, he said, your steadfast love is better than life. If if you believe that God's steadfast love is better than life, of course you're gonna feel richly blessed and nourished. In any circumstance, think, think about marriage, when people who are in love take vows, right? So some of you have. When people in love take vows, what are they willing to do? What do the vows say? The vows say that they are convinced that they would endure sickness, they would endure poverty, they would endure hunger, they would endure sorrow, sorrow, as long as they could be together. That's what your vow says. I will, I will endure anything as long as I can be with you. So if God's love is better than life, even better than a lover, better than a spouse, if God's love is better than life itself, then of course someone can feel richly blessed and nourished from him. So trust in the promises of God to satisfy you. Trust in his promises to to satisfy anyone who hungers and thirsts for him alone. David goes on to say in verses five and six, my soul I'm sorry, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Now, now, see how practical this is? This isn't a fairy tale. He knows exactly what you're going through. Nighttime, right? Nighttime is the hardest time because it's when we're anxious. 
It's when we're more anxious, when we're more nervous, it's when we're most vulnerable. Hey, if you're camping and it gets dark, you know what I'm talking about. Something changes in you emotionally and even physiologically. There is something about being in the dark, in the wilderness. You are not happy clappy like you were eating bacon and eggs around the campfire at eight in the morning. It feels different. And even in your bed at night, you know this, it feels different. Your mind plays tricks with you in the middle of the night. You know what I'm talking about? You can't sleep and you, you begin imagining worst case scenarios for your children, for your spouse, for what you're gonna find at work the next day. Worst case scenarios. And you start thinking irrationally. You would never think this way in the middle of the day. All of a sudden at 2 a.m. you can't sleep. You're thinking the worst case scenario is gonna take place in the morning. Or you start second guessing decisions you've made, good decisions. You start second guessing things you've said to certain people. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise mine because I do this. How many imaginary arguments have you had with people in the middle of the night while you're lying in bed? You're thinking of the perfect comeback. You're thinking of, of the next retort, the next reply. And then you go, what am I doing? I'm having an argument with, with a phantom, with a ghost, with, with a shadow of the real person you know, who I'm in conflict with. The night is really, really difficult. And so David is saying, Meditation is my, is my lifeline in those moments. He says that he is remembering God upon his bed, right? My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you during the watches of the night. Meditation, we've been talking about this almost every week through the Psalms. Meditation, remembering who God is and what he's promised and what he's done for us, that helps curb your fears. May not completely get rid of them, but it helps curb them, right? It, it, it kind of puts, puts a fence around your fears and says, you can't go outside of this boundary, okay? Meditation, it, it, it quells the invasive thoughts that, that torment you when you're at your worst or when you're feeling vulnerable. And therefore, David can say in verse 8, my soul clings to you. And then the beautiful reply, your right hand upholds me. See, it's not, it's not up to us. He's holding on to us. And in culinary terms, since we're talking about food and appetites, this is what he's saying. He said, my, my soul clings to you, your right hand, hand upholds me. He's saying, as my appetite craves for God, he will not let me starve. So trust that he will satisfy anyone who hungers and thirsts for him. So ask yourself, what do I hunger and thirst for in the wilderness places? What are you hungering and thirsting for in the middle of the night when you're scared or even you know, during the day or at a difficult time in your life? Maybe you're going through it right now. What are you hungering and thirsting for? And let's get practical. What is the first thing that you grab for when you are stressed? What is the first thing you reach for or resort to when you are afraid or vulnerable? 
So the popular ones uh, that they make movies about and that some of us struggle with are substance uh, substance abuse and pornography. There are very obvious ones. It's what people grab for when they're stressed and vulnerable. Here are some more socially acceptable ones. Drinking too much caffeine, overeating, binge watching TV, and streaming series. Or uh, grabbing your phone and just, you just start scrolling. You're on autopilot, you just scroll, 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 and you just consume whatever you can read, whatever you can see. Just mindless, mindless consuming. Or how about craving a person? Craving someone that you have developed a codependency for, and, and, and you, don't even, you, you haven't even consciously done this, but over time, they've become your fix. This person makes it feel okay. You've kind of dehumanized this person in your life as though they're some kind of a drug or a toy. Maybe it's a child or a friend or a spouse. False nourishments spiritually speaking, are false gods. That's what we're doing. We're idol worshipers when we turn to these false nourishments. And these, my friends, these are unable to satisfy us in in any deep or permanent way, and that's the true wilderness. Our false nourishments, that's the true wilderness. And, and, And you can be fully fed, fully educated, provided for, warm, and be living in the wilderness. You don't have to go out into the boonies to live in the wilderness, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking. And so if you find, after asking those questions of yourself, that you are relying upon false nourishments and actually living in that wilderness, and I wanna, I wanna offer you the word of God through the prophet Isaiah and just look how loving and gentle this God is. Look how he reasons with you. He says, why do you, we read this, this was our call to worship, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. You see, he's calling to you. He's not slapping you around. He's saying, I want to reason with you. Listen. Listen diligently. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear. Why? That your soul may live. You want your soul to live? You have to develop the right appetite. But, you say, God has not provided so many things that I have asked him for. I have this little menu. I have this precious menu. And I look at everything on that menu, (laughs) and he's not providing. He's holding out. Again, my friend, I I would challenge you that perhaps you have not developed an appetite for him. You crave all sorts of things, I crave all sorts of things, but I look on my menu and I don't see God there. I'm not hungering and thirsting for him. And to that I would reply with the words of C.S. Lewis in his book, get this, The Problem of Pain, where he wrote, God gives what he has, not what he has not. God gives the happiness that there is, not the happiness that is not. And and then he says, each of us have three choices. We can be God, 
where we can be like God and share his goodness in creaturely repose. That's the right option, by the way. And the third option is to be miserable. You can be God, you could be content, or you can be miserable, Lewis wrote. And he went on to say, if we will not learn to eat the only food that the universe grows, the only food that any possible universe can grow, then we must starve eternally. And I would never want that for you any more than I would want it for myself. So will you not be satisfied in this God in the wilderness places? Will you not trust him to call him your God? Yeah, some other God that we can't, that we can't understand and comprehend that has not communicated to us, that has not reached down to us. I, I, I don't know what to say about any God that you've constructed in your imagination or that I've constructed in mine, but will you not be satisfied with this God? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Jesus promised, his son, Jesus, promised that this is possible, that the way the universe works is this God does and will satisfy us. Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, I find it fascinating that at the top of the mountain, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That is the way the universe works. And then Jesus went ahead and proved that. Later on in his ministry in Samaria, recorded in John chapter four, his disciples were trying to get him something to eat, and he said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And then they were like, well, I don't, did somebody go out and buy him, was somebody at Chipotle and brought him, a, like what, where did he get this food? And he said, listen, my food is to do God's will. My food is to do the will of my father to accomplish his work. He sent me and, and my sustenance, my nourishment, is to do all that he's called me to do. You see what Jesus was saying in that moment? Same thing David was saying. I would rather die than not do my father's will. I would rather die than lose my father's love. And he did. He died so that he could do the father's will. He died and on the cross was rejected and kicked out of the love of the triune God so that you could experience that love, so that you can begin to crave a love that you never knew until he called you my child, and you could say, my God, my Father, Abba. So Jesus promised. He not only proved that this is true, that God can sustain you and satisfy you, he promised that this satisfaction is found in him. He doesn't point you anywhere else. He points you to himself. He says, You'll, you will be satisfied in me. That, the satisfaction that David found in God, Jesus is saying, that is found in me. See, it's so personal. Just like David knew it would be personal. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. And so Jesus would say at the great feast in John chapter seven, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's a phrase that our church 
has celebrated ever since its inception. Living water for anyone who will come and drink deep from what Jesus alone can offer and be satisfied. We can't, we can't promise that anything we do or say will satisfy anybody. And we can't be guaranteed that everyone who comes to drink will be satisfied. They may reject it. But as Christians, we exist as a church so that anyone who wills can come to the well and drink. We can't force it, but we want to make that well of living water available. If you're wondering why we're here, that's why we're here. Because Jesus has living water and the world needs to know. And Carroll County needs to know. And I think most of you know that it satisfies. And so that's what we're about. Praising God that it satisfies and telling our neighbors that it satisfies. Will you let Jesus prove to you, if you're not convinced yet, that he can satisfy you? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't believe this. Maybe you are in great doubt right now. You're in a wilderness place and you're looking at all this. You're like, I don't know if this is my God. I don't know if this is my God. I don't know if I want him to be my God. I don't know if I want a God. Okay, I respect that. But will you not let Jesus prove this to you? Will you not let him prove to you that he can satisfy you? Why pass up a great meal? Like, why why say, I refuse your invitation to the feast? Why say it? You know, I, I, I don't, but, but why say, I refuse? Well, I think you may have to re-examine what you think is supposed to nourish you in this world. Maybe begin there. But let Jesus prove it to you. You know, his promise is complete. It's the complete renewer of your renewal of your soul and body. That's what the Bible says. That's what it promises. It promises complete renewal of your soul, reconciliation with God. There is no greater joy and happiness than being reconciled with the creator of the universe who has programmed you to crave after him. But not only will he restore your soul completely, your body also. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my body faints for you. He offers you nothing less than full, complete bodily resurrection because his son rose from the dead. The grave was not the only answer. And so this is the beautiful thing about biblical faith is it promises full and complete restoration, a soul that no longer thirsts because it's satisfied in Jesus Christ, a body that is no longer broken because it is remade in the image of its risen Savior. Will you not accept his invitation to feast? He called himself the bread that comes down from heaven. Did he not? And he said, if you do not drink my blood and eat my flesh, you cannot have my life in you. And everyone said, okay. We had him while he was giving us food, and I think we're going to check out right now. And he even said to his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And they said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And that's when you know you crave him alone. When you have nothing else to say, but he has the words of life. I can't get satisfied anywhere else but in him. Reconciliation and resurrection. 
nothing less. Full satisfaction. The Christian builds up an appetite for Jesus to nourish you. There is no wilderness place, either physical or spiritual, psychological. There there is no wilderness place where God cannot satisfy you. And it doesn't mean all your Disney dreams come true according to Jiminy Cricket. Because David felt satisfied in the desert being hunted by his own son. Please remember what's on the menu. God says you get me. Not all your wildest dreams. You get me. So trust in his promise to satisfy anyone who will hunger and thirst for him. Amen? Now let's celebrate his meal. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you that, that there is a God who knows us. There is a God who said on the cross, I thirst. We praise you that we worship a God who knows what it means to go hungry and to go thirsty, who knows what it is to be rejected from your presence carrying the sins of the world. Oh, Lord, we praise you that our Savior knows our struggle but satisfies all our needs, and we feast upon his truth and grace. Amen.